0: Yo, there are many events coming up in the world of sports.
1: It'd be great to be in attendance for such. Where can we get tickets? SeatGeek. You see, SeatGeek is an app that can help you find the best seats with the best deals. SeatGeek shows you different tickets available with green being the best deals and red not being the hot deals. The best part is it shows you where you'll be sitting at the event. If you use the code sportsmecca, you could get $20 off your first purchase.
0: Get your seat at SeatGeek today. To another episode of the Sports Mecca Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Abramo. As always, I'm joined by my partner, Sam Hengeli. Today, we have the opportunity to speak with Andy Bagwell. He is a University of North Carolina alum, Tar Heels fan, Duke hater, and co author of the book Duke Sucks, a completely even handed, unbiased investigation into the most evil team on planet Earth. Andy, with all that said, thanks for coming on. To the show. Thanks so
2: much for having me, steven I'm really excited to to talk to you guys. We
0: will start, Andy, with this. You know, as I mentioned in the intro, you are a North Carolina fan and an alum. Start off really by you know talking about how you became a Tar Heels fan and your memories of watching them.
2: Yeah, it's kind of funny. I actually did not grow up as a kid as a Carolina fan. I didn't dislike Carolina, but I grew up in in Western North Carolina and actually grew up a Clemson football fan, believe it or not. My father was the head cheerleader at Clemson when he was there. So you can see where this like passion for sports comes from. Um, my brother went to school there. My nephew went to school there. So I actually grew up there, but I decided um, when I graduated from high school, I, I wanted to stay in state. Uh, I wanted to pursue a degree in um, in television, radio production, actually. So I uh, went to the University of North Carolina and, uh, and the, the crazy thing, guys, is I wasn't—I I was a sports fan, but it wasn't like I was a big Carolina fan at the time. Just by pure chance, I ended up on the first floor of a dorm called Granville South. I got there that day. I looked at the other names on the doors. I looked at the other guys in the halls. I was like, "Yeah, God, there's a lot of tall people in this hall." And who is this person? Who King Rice, Rick Fox, Hubert Davis? Huh? Those names sound familiar somewhat. I ended up on the hall with the basketball players, just just completely randomly. I was not a basketball player myself. So um, got to know a lot of the guys, um, you know, through my first couple of years in school. And of course, just absolutely fell in love with it um, and have been a fan ever since. So that was way back in 1988. I'm an old dude now. so uh, uh, But I've, I've I've been a huge fan ever since then.
0: Man, you're really showing your age.
2: I know. Well, it's not. Hopefully, it's not a visual podcast. You can't see how old I really am. So,
0: yeah, we can't. <laughs> yeah, good thing. Um, in the '80s, you went to school, and then yep. you obviously became a fan. You know, how did that? Did you become a d- real diehard fan? Like, how yeah. did your just interest of of North Carolina basketball continue to grow? Well,
2: it, I'll tell you what happened. I mean, it's certainly in um, in 1988 um Carolina didn't have a great team that year we had a pretty good team Uh, they ended up playing Duke in the ACC championship game in 1989 in in uh, Atlanta I went to that game it was actually really one of the more famous games in terms of the ACC tournament Uh, Carolina won by two points I believe Danny Ferry an old Duke uh guy that uh was was one of the early guys that you could hate um Missed a three-quarter shot that, that banked off the, off the rim. So that was really fun, right? Going to an ACC tournament in, in, in a huge dome. Now, as it turns out, at the same time that I was at Duke, I mean, I'm sorry, sorry, at the same time I was at Carolina, those are the exact same four years that Christian Laettner was at Duke. So the rivalry between Duke and Carolina was really at its height. Kay was kind of finding his superpowers. Laettner was flipping his hair and stepping on people. Um, all over the country. They were winning. Um, but my senior year at Carolina uh, was what's it, to, to basketball fans, especially Carolina basketball fans, it's known as the Bloody Montrose game. Carolina and Duke were both ranked in the top five. It was my senior year, my last game in the Dean Dome as a, as a student. And uh, Duke came in, they were number one. Carolina won the game. It's the famous scene where Eric Montrose got cut. Um, I'm still convinced that Christian went like pull the shiv out and cut him. Uh, but uh, yeah, so so that was that was really uh, a, a great moment. Still one of the best games I've ever seen. And then ever since then, um, you know, I've been on Franklin Street, uh, which is the main drag there in Chapel Hill. Uh, after every na- national championship, I live about 30 minutes away from Nash- from from Chapel Hill now. So I I, I was living in Chapel Hill '93, ran up there. Uh, drove up there in, in, uh, in 2005 and 2009 and 2017 uh, just to be a part of it. So it, it's, it was, it was kind of hardened when I was in school and uh, it's, it's it hasn't waned a bit. So it's, it's just, uh, it's a lot of fun to follow.
0: What would you say since, since you've been following them, your most beloved Carolina fan, uh, Carolina player?
2: Oh man, that's, that's like picking between your children, Steve. And um, but I, I, I have to, I'll tell you this, I have a soft spot for point guards. Like that's just, I just, you know, I'm not a tall dude. I'm six feet tall, but in, in my lesser basketball playing days, I used to love to pass the ball. So I, I look at guys like Ed Cota, more recently Kendall Marshall. Um, gotta love a guy like Joel Berry and Marcus Page from, from more recent times. You know, so I always always just really liked those, those types of players um, guys who would get everybody else involved. Um, but I mean, there's so many guys over the years that, that, uh, you know, you, you could choose from at Carolina. There's just, uh, there's just too many to name, but, uh, but I'd say if I have to pick one, it's probably between Kendall Marshall and Ed Coda.
0: So, you know, you mentioned about your time watching the games at the Dean dome. Did you ever get the chance to go into Cameron Indoor and watch a game live?
2: It is a good story, Steven. I have been once, just once. So I'll, I'll tell you this. This is a kind of a crazy story. It was after I graduated. I was still living in Chapel Hill. Um, this friend of mine had had connections with, I don't even remember, It was somebody that was like a writer for Sports Illustrated at the time or something. It was some, some big connections. And this guy occasionally would get tickets for us. So we got a call like the day of the game. And uh, my friend said, hey, um, I, I just found out I got tickets to the game in Cameron tonight. Andy, do you want to go? I'm like, yeah, let's go. You know, and so um, I, I don't even remember what year it was, but I, we had no idea where the tickets were. It's a small place, you know, so we, we just knew we were going to be in the building. So we show up and we get the tickets at the will call window. This was back in the day when you had an actual, you know, physical ticket. And we, we go up to the door, we go in and we walk up to the little usher dude, you know, who's going to show you where you are. And he's like, and we were like, where are these? I don't, you know, we don't know where we're going. And he goes, and he kind of looks at him, looks at us and goes, okay, follow me. We walk down and through the little corridor we walk onto the floor we walk across and sit four rows behind the duke bench somehow some way we had gotten tickets in the duke player family you know family of players section it was it was so crazy so we were like oh my god this is great so during warm-ups you know, we take our jackets off, because it's, it's cold, it's winter, we take our jackets off, I got like a Carolina shirt on, like I've got on right now, right, my friend, we're all decked out, and we're like, woo, this is gonna be awesome, the Carolina players are warming up on the floor, and they're glancing over, like, looking at us, like, oh my god, what are these dudes doing, how did they get there, Um, like, like, making faces at us and stuff, so the game starts, and I'm not too ashamed to tell you, I was maximum obnoxious during this game, guys, so I, me and my friend, we were like, we're, we're going to live this up. So that there was a like really early in the game, Duke goes to the line. The place of course is dead quiet, except for these two idiots behind the Duke bench in the Carolina shirts going, oh, ah, missed it, missed it, missed it. And, and we, and then we kind of got some looks and then at the next time out, we were yelling and screaming. I think Carolina was up and we hear this from behind us, shut the F up, but they didn't say F. Um, and so we were like, it kind of dawned on us at that moment, guys that like, oh yeah, we're surrounded by a bunch of Duke fans. This is probably not the smart play. So we ended up calming it down a little bit and, uh, and, and did not get kicked out of the game. The bad thing is, Duke won the game. So that we got so much crap walking out of Cameron. and, uh, and that, is a, that is the one and only time I have been there. Um, but it, it was, I have to admit, it was a really cool experience. So have you guys ever been, in, been to Cameron? No? Yeah, wow. it's, um, I'll describe it to you too. It's kind of small, but you, you ever been in a television studio where like everything outside of what you see on TV, there's nothing there? That's kind of what Cameron is like. Like you see it on TV, you think it's this cavernous place and everybody's jumping up and down and going crazy. That's not it. It's basically everything you see on TV is where all the craziness is. Everybody else is just like alums, just sitting on their seats and just kind of watching a basketball game, and it's like a big high school gym. It's kind of weird.
0: Yeah, Sam and I, you know, we've since we support Candace, we've gone down to Fieldhouse many times, and I would definitely say it's not really the same. It's very, it's very different, and the way that Allen Fieldhouse is is set up, it's kind of cavernous and very open, so sound really can just bounce off the walls in mm-hmm. Allen House. and I mean you have the student section that's behind the, the the baskets but they're not obviously on top of you like Cameron but the way that it's built Allen Fieldhouse sounds so I mean it, it just magnifies from watching on the TV I feel like I don't know would you say it's kind of a country club atmosphere beyond like the I
2: I wouldn't say country club but you definitely have a bunch of the blue hairs like sitting up you know in their seats that have had tickets to Cameron for a long time it's not it's not like the place is packed to the gills with cam and crazies it just looks that way on tv because that's all you see on the screen so I mean it's it's a great atmosphere don't get me wrong I can I can admit that being a Ducator and a Carolina fan it's a really great atmosphere but it's, it's a little bit of a, a made-for-TV show. That was my impression of it. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you this too, guys. I have not been to a game in Allen Fieldhouse. And as a diehard college basketball fan, that is like at the top of my sports bucket list for sure. I I want to see a game in Allen Fieldhouse one of these days. Maybe I can stay with you guys when I come out there. Is that cool? Yeah, it <laughs> hey, can hey. make it work.
0: Um, so transitioning a little bit to when you wrote the book, du- uh, Duke Sucks, you were able to co-author this with Reed Tucker. That's right. At what point in your life do you decide that you wanted to write this book, and you know what does this book entail? How long is it? If you want to provide yeah, the listeners,
2: it, it's kind of create another little kind of a an odd thing that that we that how it came to be. So, um, so Reed as uh, went to Carolina as well. Um, he's he's a couple of years younger than me. So I, I one of his older brother who also went to Carolina is one of my best friends, Brian Tucker. Um, Brian, actually, interesting note. Um, speaking of writing, um, he is now in his, I think, 17th season as a writer for Saturday Night Live. So good writing genes there in that family. Um, but, uh, but Reed and I, um, we were friends and uh, around, this is going this is kind of crazy, but we actually started a podcast um, together about about uh, a long time ago. It was actually 2010 uh, when we started this podcast, really before a lot of the podcasts started blowing up. The funny thing, guys, was that we started this podcast, and I'm getting to the book part, believe me, um, because one of our friends moved uh, to China. And so he felt disconnected. And we were like, well, we'll start this podcast. And it'll be kind of like for our friend, Martin, who's going to be out there listening and wants to kind of hear the Carolina experience. So it was all about Carolina basketball, this podcast was. Well, part of the part of the format of the podcast was we would talk about whatever was going on. And then we would end every single episode with this week's reason why Duke sucks. And we would just pick something out, you know, something that was in the news or go back in time and, you know, found. So we, so we started to collect all these little snippets and stories and, and little funny things. Reed is actually a writer by trade. So he wrote for the New York Post. He does a lot of freelance stuff. So, so he had a, he, he was the guy that actually came up with the idea. He said, Andy, you know, we should like take all these and turn them into a book. I was like, that's the dumbest idea I've ever heard in my life. No one will buy this thing. Um, and he goes, no, 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 let's do it. It'll be fine. Like, we'll just sell it to our friends at the most. Will, you know, we'll sell it to a bunch of friends of ours. They'll, they'll, they'll enjoy it. So um, we, we put together this. So when you're, when you are you know, for people out there in the audience that are maybe, you know, interested in writing books or anything like that, you put together this a, a pitch, right? You, you write maybe a couple of uh, paragraphs or a couple of chapters of your book. You describe who the audience is, you know, why you think it would, would sell, uh, you know, all sorts of things to, that, a, that a publisher can then look at the. I didn't say, okay, I'm interested. So we um, we did that and we we you know took some time to do that. Reed had a writing agent, um, and we were we were ready to just send it out to just some really small publishers. We just we just wanted to get it published. We didn't care, you know, whatever, whatever we got paid or whatever. So we 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 gave it to our writing agent, and she thought it was hilarious. And she was like, I'm gonna send this to all the big publishing houses. And we're like, that's a bad idea. They're not gonna look at this. So she sent it out and you know, it was out for a couple of weeks and we got one offer back, really, really small money. Not, it was like, we'll pay a thousand bucks to write this book. And we we're like, eh, okay, let's, let's just wait and see. Crazily enough, we got super lucky, You know, like, like, like preparation meets, meets chance equals opportunity or whatever that phrase is. At that exact time when our book proposal was sitting on the desks of all these publishers in New York City. Now, guys, in New York City, that's a pro sports town, right? They don't have a clue about college basketball, college sports. So they're looking at this book about some rivalry with colleges in North Carolina. Like, what? No one's going to read this. Well, at that exact moment, the ESPN film, The Fab Five came out. This, this is a while back, but this was about Michigan uh, Fab Five, Jalen Rose and all those guys. And in that film, if you all have seen it, um, this, there, was a, there was a moment where Jalen Rose basically referred to the the African-American Duke players as Uncle Tom's, right, for going to a place that was all white. Well, this blew up into a national story. Outside of just national sports, it was a huge story, right? And so it kind of shined this light on Duke and Carolina and college basketball. The publisher looks down and is like, wait a minute, Duke sucks. This is a national story. Maybe this is good. So, St. Martin's Press is the, is the, is the publisher that eventually, it's a division of Macmillan. They eventually said, hey, guys, this is interesting. We'll, we'll pay to write this book. So we got a book deal. Um, We, it took us about, uh, about five, six months to write it, do all the research, get some interviews, secured some rights to pictures, a bunch of stuff like that. And, uh, and then we, we, uh, we got it published and it's crazy guys. It has been out for 10 years um, and, and still selling. So I, I can continue the story, but if you, if I've got more, if you want
0: Um, I will ask you, you know, what, you know, were the interviews that you conducted and what stories, you know, did you introduce into the book?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of stuff. So we went, we went across the board. It wasn't just about basketball. If you read the book, we talked about the fact that Duke was founded on tobacco money, right? So it's like, uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a school that uh, causes cancer, being a little tongue-in-cheek there. Um, and, uh, and we talked a lot about how the, we had a, a chapter on the architecture and how it was like fake gothic was supposed to look like Princeton because they wanted to feel important. Um, you know, we, we looked at uh, way back in, like, the, the early days, before Ch- Coach Krzyzewski, there was a huge fight. I heard you talking about Larry Brownlee before we started recording. You know, Larry Brown was involved with a fight with a Duke player named Art Heyman, and um, that was back in the 60s, and so there was all this history, so we did a lot of history uh, research, Stephen, and then we, we, we interviewed um, a lot of people, we interviewed some former players, um, we interviewed, one, so the, the, the book is set up like a, a, like, a, like a court case, we say, charge one, Coach Cave Coach dyes his hair, and then we, you know, we write about it, and then we have a conclusion at the end. We actually interviewed... I wanted to get a, a hair sample from Coach K, but we never could get that. But we, we'd actually sent pictures to a professional hairstylist, someone who was like known in the in the country. This is, I'm dead serious. And, and sent pictures to her and said, hey, can you look at this and tell me if you think he dyes his hair? And and then you know, talked to this person. And the conclusion was no, that, that, uh, that you know, Polish, people of Polish ancestry, a lot of times don't go gray until very, very late in life. And, uh, and that was conclusion. So a lot of crazy interviews like that, but, but mostly we did, you know, we did a lot of that type of research to find the historical stuff, but we also just talked about things that happened on the basketball court, like, like Christian Laettner's stomp of, of I mean, of Timberlake. Um, we tried to interview him by the way. Uh, and, and a lot of other, you know, things like that had happened on the basketball court. It's a good book. You guys pick it up. For sure.
1: Uh- I remember the first time I uh, heard of you and I uh, saw you was on the I Hate Christian Leitner 30 for 30, which was a really phenomenal 30 for 30. I enjoyed that so much. Uh, how did you get the opportunity to uh, do that interview?
2: Yes. Yeah, and I, I feel like every question you guys are teaming up some really good questions. because everything I have good stories for. Mm-hmm. Um, so so this is so it, it, the book obviously was what led to it. So so it was the book came out in 2012. Um, and we, uh, you know, I, I, did a lot of like radio interviews at the time just to promote the book. And then from time to time, we would get calls around March Madness, you know, so i would get a call or an email and say, Hey, would you be willing to come on and talk about the, the Duke UNC rivalry or something like that? So this was not unusual that we would get contacted like that. So one day, um, around 2014, we got an email and, uh, the email was kind of cryptic. It was, uh, it said, Hey, I, I I'm a, I'm a producer. And we're filming a documentary and would love to talk to you um, about your book. And I'm like, "Mm, okay. And I'm like, well, what's the documentary about? And he's like, well, it's about um, the rivalry. We really can't tell you anymore. Now, at this point, part of me is like, okay, this is all a ruse from Duke fans who want to get me in a room somewhere with a camera and then kick my ass. You know, so I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm a little on guard. So I was like can you tell me more about what this is where is it you know what what, what, what you talk what's the time frame and he goes listen I, I can't put it in writing but if you call me at this number I'll, I'll tell you what's going on So I was like okay so I called the guy up and he's like hey Annie I'm sorry to be so cryptic but we can't, we're we're under like a, an NDA we're actually filming an ESPN 30 about Christian Leiter and I was like are you you know crapping me I was like are you serious and he goes yeah um so he had this guy the producers had basically just done some research found the book and and tracked us down so originally i was supposed to go to chapel hill and film in, in some room or something but they ended up coming to my house um so that so in the in the christian later documentary that's my house and uh i'm not in that room right now but uh that, that's so we they came in and filmed for probably like an hour and that was in like i think it was in maybe september october time frame and then they left and i was like well that was interesting I didn't know if I would actually make the cut. And so that about, it was about December, January timeframe. Um, you know, I sent the guy an email. I said, hey, how's it coming? You know, when's it going to come out and he had stuff. Did, did I make the cut? And, and he emails me back and he goes, "Yes, yeah, coming out in, in March. And oh yeah, you're in there a lot. I was like, oh crap. <laughs> um so I, at that point i'm like oh god what did i say what did i say what am i going to get sued i'm going to somebody's going to kill me this is going to be bad so obviously we you know i I, uh, I it came out before it came out though guys um i got invited to go up to um uh new york to a premiere before it was aired on espn and christian leitner was there so I know. Yeah. So and I, at this point, I have not seen the film, right? And I don't, I don't even know if I'm in it. I don't even know what anything about it. So we're going up, we go in this building in New York, and we're going up this escalator to, uh, to where this, this, this little gathering is out on this little mezzanine before we go into the, to the theater to watch the movie. And I'm like, I'm, I'm here with Reed and my friend Martin, who had moved to China. Or we, they both lived in New York at the time. And I'm like, okay, guys, listen. I don't know if Christian Leitner has seen the movie yet, so let's go get a picture with him now. Because if he has seen it and he and we, I'm recognizable, they're not going to want to take a picture after. So let's go, let's go find him, let's go take a picture. And I'm like, okay, yeah, 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 let's do it. So we come up over this escalator and we come up, and there's probably like 200 people in this room, and we're and we're looking around, and I look over. And I see Leitner like across the room, because he's seven feet tall. He stands out above everybody else. Mm-hmm. And I see him across the room. And I'm like, oh, there he is. Let's start walking. So he's talking to somebody. And he looks up, guys, and he locks eyes with me, like, and has this scowl on his face. And I'm like, oh, bleep. He's seen it. He knows who I am. I'm probably going to die tonight. It was a crazy, crazy moment. But he was he he's still a pretty arrogant guy but he was very gracious he could have been very mean to me but we saw the movie did a whole q a afterwards i got lectured by grant hill that night um, about what a great pro christian was uh i had his nine-year-old son shooting me death stares all night it was a really interesting night um but then you know a couple weeks later it came out and and it has definitely been my my continuous 15 minutes of fame for sure
1: i want to talk a little bit about. A little bit more recently, uh, you know, KU and North Carolina, they're both like kind of similar. Dean Smith graduated from KU, was a legend at UNC. You think about Larry Brown, play at UNC and then coached the national championship at KU. And then Dean Smith ha- rec- recommends one of his assistants, a guy named Roy Williams, comes to Kansas, coaches 14 years, and he comes to UNC, wins three national championships at his automator. How do you view Roy Williams' legacy as a college basketball fan and then as a UNC uh, alum?
2: Yeah, I mean, obviously, he's one of the greats. Um, you know, I think it's hard to rank guys, um, in, but but I'd put him, i definitely put him in the top five coaches of all time. I mean, to do what he did at two just historic universities um, and the, the, the winning record that he has, I think it's it's really tough to to match that. And you're right, it's it KU and UNC are are really intertwined over the years. I mean, it's just it's kind of crazy. Of course, KU is you know is the birthplace of basketball and and everything. And then Dean Smith came directly from that tree, and then you had Roy Williams go back, and and uh, it, it is it, it's such an intertwined thing. And we used to always to say when when Roy Williams went to KU, such similar programs, such similar schools, fan bases, very rabid, great history. Um, and, and guys, by the way, of course, this goes back to 1957, right? Mm-hmm. When, when Carolina beat Wilt, Wilt Chamberlain in, in triple overtime. We, we'll come back to that in a second, because I think that's an amazing story If people, if your, if your audience doesn't know it. But we always thought of ourselves, and I think KU fans would say this too, we were really like like sister programs, right? It just kind of like really a lot of respect. And boy, yeah, then when Roy Williams, uh, you know, the second time, the first time, he decided to stay. Carolina fans then hated KU. And then when he decided to come to Carolina, uh, you know, the KU fans, a lot of them were really mad with Roy. Um, and then we had, you know, so, so it was like there's a lot of tension there for a while. But I, I really feel like, honestly, guys, just this past year, it brought the two schools back together, right? So Roy retires. He goes to, to, to uh, Allen Fieldhouse and watches a game. Everybody loves him there. Uh, and then crazy, you know, just... The, the chance that these two schools then meet in the national championship in the year after he retires, um, it, it was kind of surreal. So I feel like the basketball gods had intertwined these two schools a long time ago and then broke them apart and then just this year kind of brought them back together. So I, I just think it's a really cool story. But real quick on the fifty seven thing, can you imagine – if the if Carolina played two triple overtime games in that final four before they beat Will Chamberlain in Kansas can you imagine now two triple overtimes in the in the final four how intense that would be it's it's Mm kind of crazy to think about
1: yeah absolutely and it's also crazy they got 1957 a game was played at municipal auditorium in KC and then you think about the national championship game this year was in the Superdome so it's like way more people a lot more people pay attention to college basketball they really also show you how much the game has grown and evolved over time too and but still one thing has stayed the same is North Carolina and Kansas
2: both historically great programs mm-hmm. yeah and, and I think that will continue to be the case for the foreseeable future right I mean I think both teams are going to return good teams next year I, I just think it's fun I mean you've got so many great games over the years you've got that 91 game when I was in school, I was a junior Carolina. Roy Williams, you know, beats Carolina. That was the last time, by the way, that Duke and UNC were in the final four together on opposite sides of the bracket. So Roy Williams prevented Armageddon in that case, whereas Carolina and Duke could have met for the national championship, right? Um, but, but in that game, Dean Smith gets ejected uh, while Roy Williams is on the other sideline. There's just so many, so many really interesting games over the years that these two teams have played. It'd be, it'd be really crazy if somehow – they could make it back there to the national championship, have a rematch next year. That would be fun to watch.
1: Yeah, definitely. Hopefully maybe one, maybe we'll see, uh, maybe, maybe some more regular season matchups between KU and Carolina. I w- I would love to see that. Maybe even a home and home. I would love to see like Carolina come to Allen and then we go to the Dean Dome. I think that'd be great for college basketball.
2: It really would, Sam. You know, that we've done that with Kentucky a couple of times. I don't think Raul Williams is Carolina. I don't think he was ever going to do that. Right. I just don't think I think it was too close for him. Yeah. So maybe now that uh that he's retired, we have that chance. Um and that would just be that would be awesome to see. I would love to see. Uh, that those two things, Carolina going into Allen Fieldhouse and and the Jayhawks coming into the Dean Dome, that would be that would be good. Let's make it happen. You guys, you guys are close out there. Call somebody. Make it happen. Come on now.
1: For sure and absolutely. Um, I want to go back to a little bit of the Duke hatred. A little bit. I thought this was like a really fun question, Stephen. You can also chime in on this one too. Um, excluding basketball, we're going to talk about other other professional sports and athletes, retired or current. Who do you think would p- fit the perfect Duke fill-on outside of basketball?
2: Man, I, you know, the first guy that comes to mind is Tom Brady. And that was that bad? Is, I don't know. if I don't yeah, think that's so, that. yeah. Like, that's the first thing that popped in my head um, for sure. Um, I, I You know, if I I'm really – I'm like, now, this is a good question. I'm spinning around. Oh, Cristiano Ronaldo. Wouldn't Cristiano Ronaldo be a Dukie? He gets, you on know, the flat hair so. and, like, a little well, – he flops all the time. I think like he, would, he would fit in really well there. Yeah, God, that's really good. I'm trying to think about other sports. Um, man, I don't know who would you who would you guys say? I think Alex Rodriguez would be a perfect oh, yes. one. He's even a Duke fan. He's been at he's been at games in Cameron before, so that's a really good one. That's a baseball player for sure. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think in other sports. Let's see. That's baseball, football. Yeah, man, I don't know. Um, I don't know. That's a good. Those are those are good ones. There's you know a lot of a lot of guys out there that are easy to hate for sure. Another one I thought of like this one maybe because I'm a little bit salty.
1: I would say I would throw Joe Burrow's kind of like trending in that direction. Like you think about he has like that like just physical appearance looks like a mm-hmm. typical like he'd be like a dude big guy. He's
2: got that like cocky personality. He could he that's a really good call. He could almost be like a like a Plumley brother. He's like a fourth Plumley brother or something. Um, yeah, no, that's a good one. That is good. I was trying to think about like any any hockey players, but um, I can't even think of any right now. But uh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, Burrow. It's, I think it's I think mean, it's early. You know, the, the jury's Burrow, still out yeah. on him. Let's see where he kind of where he kind of heads. But anybody that's that confident got a little bit of arrogance. Um, you know, yeah, they're 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 trending in that direction for sure.
0: I think the two hockey players that you can maybe throw in there, Sidney Crosby. Yes um and brad marchand for the boston bruins okay uh, yeah. i don't i don't think brad marchand looks like a duke player one i mean he's a very good hockey player but you know the, he he gets under your skin he just agitates you you know early on in his career not only was he scoring a lot of goals but he was just you know picking fights and just like you know nabbing his sticky way like he got into it and that's kind of a Duke player that's like, oh, man, like a guy that just kind of gets in the way of everything. So I would say those two. Sidney Crosby, I feel like, would be more of that because. He's a pretty boy. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think that, yeah. that's yeah. A, that's kind of a, a fits the Duke label.
2: I, I, I can definitely see that, yeah. And and Brad Marchand, like, if I think about it, Duke's had some guys over the year who are just these big loves, you know, who come in like. Like Coach K used to send them in off the bench to go foul some dude on the opposing team like five times. So that, that's that's a good call, Steven. I like that one too.
0: You can name two that I can just remember these big lugs. You got Brian Zubek. Oh, yeah. And, and yep. Ryan Kelly. Uh, yep. Now, unfortunately, I think Zubek was part of that 2010 championship team. He was. Um, he was. But Ryan yeah. Kelly, like those two for Sam's – Sam and our age group, that's really like who we've been able to. And another player, he didn't play. He played college basketball. Aaron Kraft, the Ohio State
2: point guard. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yes. Would have been the
0: perfect Duke player,
2: but he never played there. Well, the guy from Villanova, Colin Gillespie, you could totally see him, like, slapping the four in the middle of the Cameron, right? Can't you, do you see that guy? I'll tell you, another guy, um, they have one other team this year, Theo John, the transfer, the guy that came and transferred in. He was totally came in and just like, here, go in and foul some people while Mark Williams takes a breather, Right. I would say uh I'll throw
1: a KU guy Christian Brown maybe a little bit he kind of has that personality yeah. of like a dude guy a little, a little bit. bit
2: Yeah yeah I don't see him doing all that smack so he doesn't talk a lot does he Does Christian Brown talk Oh my a lot? gosh
1: he like he yell, he'll yell at the he'll yell the B word like every big play like after a timeout you just see him on camera and he just goes towards
2: the bench and he yells the B word Oh that's awesome okay yeah I don't watch enough of KU during the regular season to get a good feel for him so but yeah, he's got that, you know, This, I mean, there's always that dude, right? You've always got yeah. some dudes on your team that, um, you know, that, that could potentially fall to the dark side like that. So our like, kind of like final like topic,
1: it's, it's gotta be about Coach K. We cannot like go and interview without talking about Mike Krzyzewski. He is now retired. It's kind of hard to believe. If you weren't a UNC fan, if you're just a normal college basketball fan. Well, how would you have viewed, view
2: Coach K? Well, I really think that for the most part, most of the other college basketball teams hate him, right? I, I mean, I think if you're a true college basketball fan, unless you're a Duke fan or you're not really following college basketball, you're a very casual fan, I don't see how you can look at that program and not just go, I don't like that dude. I mean, you just look at him, he's scowling on the sidelines all the time. He looks like his face is all squinched up like he just ate a lemon wrapped in an onion. I mean, it's just, it, yeah, how can you look at that man and go, yeah, I definitely want to send my children there. I, it's, I, I mean, you guys are going to spin me up now. My blood pressure is rising, but, um, you know, it's, I, I just can't understand how, how people could just like casually pull for, for Duke and coach K, but I've realized that my brain is a little bit warped in this subject. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. As a UNC fan, how do you view coach K? Well, yeah, I, this is a this is a family friendly podcast, guys, so I will I will keep it at that. But I, I just think, you know, undoubtedly, you know, the statistics don't lie. I will give him credit. He's won a bunch of games. Right. Mm-hmm. And and so if you look at if you look at the historical numbers, it's hard to deny that. But the thing is, to me, is I think he gets such a pass, um, you know, just the way he, he treats a lot of the players. In the book, we talk about the enormous number of transfers he'd had over there. This is before the transfer portal and made it easy for people to transfer. He would bring guys in, recruit over them, dip them on the bench, and then just they would transfer. So you can see so many guys coming in, five stars, and they wash out because they just because he just pushes them out. So I just and and I think um, you know, I just don't I, I don't agree with a lot of the ways that they did things over there. Um, I just think that uh you know he tried to make himself something that he that he that he wasn't. Um, you know, it goes back to that television thing. I was thinking about camera. There's a lot of appearances um with the Duke program that I think are not what they really are. I mean, I, and again, we talk about this in the book. It goes back to the building of the freaking school, like they, they tried to make it look like Princeton because they thought it would make them, you know, look like a really special school. So that that's the that's the biggest thing over there and and you know i'm not the first person to say these things there have been instances all across the years where he's just kind of an a-hole and um and and so i i just i I, i've never been a fan never will and oh my god that night on april 2nd when hubert davis sent him packing is one of the most wonderful nights of my life guys it was great
1: i was so lucky to be in the building at the
2: superdome just to watch that
1: game and one of my, probably my favorite final four, not just because KU won the title, but because UNC, Duke, and then UNC just winning, beating a Duke to end K's career, you just couldn't write that any better. It was kind of like a perfect, like, it was like me, like, what would be like the most ideal weekend? It'd be like, watch Coach K I'll lose to Carolina and then KU won it all that
2: was like and that happened and I mean it, it was great for KU fans so let me ask you this um so Sam when you were there because KU played first right yeah um and so you guys you guys won did everybody stick around did, did anybody leave the building um whenever whenever you guys whenever uh KU won or did, uh, was everybody like okay now we got to see what happens next a little bit of some people kind of left a little bit in my section. I,
1: I wanted to stay the whole time because I knew this was going to be such a premier game. And I've never seen Duke Carolina in person, mm. and I did not want to miss the opportunity. And uh, it was definitely really, really packed. It was kind of like hard to like because everybody was u- kind of like using the bathroom getting their food right before the game. So, like, the lines were just so long.
2: Yeah, I wish I'd have been there, but I don't know that I could have handled that game in public. I'm serious. I go, I've been to a couple of Duke Carolina games, the one I mentioned in Cameron. and I've gone to several in the Dean Dome, but for the most part, I have to just hole up, and I get, I'm, you know, I get in my little cave, and I just watch the game, and I, I mean, I have people coming me like, hey, you want to go out to a bar and watch the game? I'm like, no, no, I don't, no, because I'm not, I'm not presentable in public during these games, so I don't know that I physically could have handled being in the building there. I would have been so uptight and nervous.
0: You add not only the fact that, oh, yeah, they're playing each other, but the fact that, you know, it's different when you're going to these games at Cameron Indoor or the Dean Dome. It's a regular season game. This was a final for a spot to go to the national championship. The stakes are just 10 times higher. I mean, you would have just been on pins and needles as a UNC or Duke fan in New Orleans in that game.
2: Y'all, that week leading up to the game, that might be the longest week in my life. Like the minute that Saint that I mean St. Peter's game in the Elite Eight for Carolina, it, it, yeah, it was pretty much over. Like you not long after the game started, you you knew that Carolina was was gonna beat St. Peter's, right? It was pretty yeah. obvious that there that Cinderella's run and run out. I immediately got this knot in my stomach. I was like, oh my God, it's gonna happen. We're gonna play Duke in the final four. And I got so mad at myself because I was so nervous and like started feeling anxious and like nauseous. And I'm like Andy, you've got to stop this. You've got to enjoy that Carolina, your favorite team, is going to the Final Four. Don't think about the don't think about the opponent right now. But it was so hard, and that and it, just that whole week, like you said, Stephen, the build up—it's everywhere. You can't turn on the radio, a podcast, the TV. Something was talking about that game. And I will tell you this, man, I think if you talked to Carolina and Duke fans before that, I don't think either one of us really wanted that. I don't, because it was the, it's the ultimate trump card, right? Whoever wins that game is going to have the ultimate trump card outside of a national championship matchup with God help us all that ever happens. But uh, I, I really don't think that Duke or Carolina fans on either side wanted that because of the anxiety it caused and and the, the, the potential outcome being what it ended up being. now. Don't get me wrong. Super excited that we were on the winning side of that. That's great now in retrospect, but um, God, it was, it was so, it was so nerve wracking. Um, And, and, you know, just waiting all day for that game too was just, I was beside myself.
0: To be honest, I felt that Candace Villanova game was just like pumped up as this
2: JV game,
0: but it's like, Oh, well that game doesn't mean much. We got Duke North Carolina. That's the real game.
2: Yeah, I felt bad for Kansas and Nova fans because you you knew that was how it was going to play. But but you're right. And I, I looked at that and I was like, in the other game I'm like, Kansas is playing really well irrelevant right now. And Nova had been playing really well. They lost their 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 guy, but I was like, Nova Nova's won championships. You know, they're a, they're a very very good team in recent years. So I I was I knew that that was the way it was going to play out. And I actually I was thinking to myself. You know, that's not a good thing because whoever wins this Duke Carolina game, they're gonna be they're gonna be just beat, first of all. They're gonna they're gonna put everything into it. And whoever wins the Kansas Villanova game is gonna feel slighted by what they by that game, and so they were gonna come out on fire. But you know, it it's crazy. It did turn out to be um, I, I wasn't able the Duke and Carolina game, I wasn't able to watch it and appreciate it. I was so nervous and just watching the game and, and, and bracing myself and on the swings. Of course, I've gone back and watched it oh, maybe three or four times since then. It was really, really an incredible game, like a little sloppy in the beginning. Then you had big runs and then a big run back. And then you had the back and forth game. And that that last 10 minutes of the game, that was a freaking slug fest, guys. I mean, they were just like trading blows like heavyweights, just standing staring at each other in the middle of the ring. I mean, it's definitely gonna go down as one of those all-time classic college basketball games. And I, I it's just it's a crazy to think that it happened after all these years. It's crazy that it happened with Hubert Davis in his first year, sending Mike Shashevsky into retirement after the season that Carolina had had a very rocky season coming in as an eighth seed, having beaten them in Cameron on K's last game. You think, oh, all the revenge is here for Duke and to do it again, just beyond my wildest dreams as a Carolina fan for the outcome of that game.
1: Yeah, yeah, I will say, dude, being in New Orleans, man, North Carolina fans really showed out, like, I saw so many of them, like, everywhere, they really, they really definitely made the trip, they wanted to be there and support the Carolina Blue, and then another thing, too, is, like, I think about it, because me and Steve, we had Chris Batola, ESPN ESPN, uh, he's actually a K son-in-law, I, I wasn't sure if you knew that, but oh, we were talking about, like, Uh, Carolina at the time we weren't sure like the direction of the program and then three months later we they're in the national championship game so it's like crazy how everything just turned out
2: it is crazy I mean it's definitely Carolina fans have been on a major roller coaster this year right I mean you think about uh, April 1st 2021 Roy announces his retirement and no one I mean in retrospect we probably should have seen it coming but really nobody really saw that coming and then we're like Wow. And we, and we just came off of two not good years. Right. So it, it wasn't good. And, and then you got, you know, Duke down the road, just killing it, getting every top recruit they could get their hands on. Then four days later, you're like, okay, Hubert Davis, great guy, never coached a game in his life. Was this really the right move? You know, a lot of people questioning it. Now I didn't, Hubert was my hallmate at Carolina. I know the guy I was, I had confidence, you know, and then, and then the season starts guys and you watched it. I mean, like, Carolina didn't look that good. They're, they're running a new system. You know, the, the coaches are trying to figure things out. The players, I, you know, I, it was rough, man. And, and yeah, it was crazy how even as late as like January, February, the Carolina fans, we, we didn't, I mean, we were in the, we were in a, a bit of a pickle, right? You didn't, you know, this may be it. This may be it for the, for the, for the program and the turnaround and the, the run that that team went on. I, I will tell you guys. I've been a fan, of, you know, I said at the beginning of the podcast for more than 30 years, it is one of the most it is one of the craziest runs that I can ever remember and a team that will people connected with more than any other team I mean there's a lot of teams over the years but it it, it is really a miraculous run and, and because for so many reasons so I think, I think Carolina fans obviously fell in love with the team and fell in love with what happened. But I, I did feel like, and maybe you guys can tell me this is true, you're Kansas fans, but I did feel like as Carolina started making that run through the tournament, a lot of people, like, jumped on board. You know, they were pretty excited. It was like Carolina rising up from the eighth seed, Hubert Davis in his first year, and some really recognizable faces and, and guys who were just hitting big shots. And then then the Duke game happens. and I, it was It was really, really fun to watch as a fan. Just, like, what an incredible ride.
1: Yeah, me and Steven remember uh, Brady Manick because he was a four, played four years at Oklahoma. I remember him having some big games against KU. I remember him hitting a big shot his freshman year to beat KU and, mm-hmm. and Norman. I, so I knew Manick was like a very great player, very great shooter. Like I, if you leave him wide open, he made it. He was going to make it. And we saw that in the first half of that game. He was just making big shots. And then Armando Baycott, you think about just the size, the strength. He has just a double dome machine, and Caleb
2: Bob, just exploding into the scene. That dude has more confidence than anyone I've ever seen in my life. And it's it just like, he, he can, he has no idea. I've heard someone else say, this. he has no idea that he is one for eight in the game. He, the next shot is going in. Man, early in the season, you know, he was getting killed on the message boards and stuff. He's like, what is he doing? He's shooting everything and he's, you know, he's, he's jacking these things up and not even conscious of what he's trying to do. And then, you know, he hits that shot in the Duke game. He's got, free food and and beverages in Chapel Hill for life now so I also think
1: about two history of North Carolina basketball Superdome is a special place for UNC I think Jordan shot uh them beating uh, the Fab Five in a national title game and then beating Duke on Coach K's last game a historical place for UNC fans
2: it did it felt ordained right guys and that and even going into that Kansas game I thought Man, New Orleans is there's something magical about this place for Carolina. I thought I thought it, I thought the miracle was actually going to happen, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, it has been a great place for for Carolina over the years, and just so many iconic moments as you mentioned Jordan and then Chris Webber timeout and uh, and that national championship. Um, yeah, it's 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 kind of crazy. I mean, you know, it's really really wild if you think about it. Like the basket the basketball gods bringing all of this together. Um, KU and Duke and Carolina in this Final Four and K's last and it, it's just it's crazy to think about. I, I love it. I love it as a fan. Yeah, for for sure, it was great for uh, college basketball.
1: Uh, I want to talk about Coach K a little bit more. Uh, what was a moment as a fan that you just like your like was like the peak for your uh, Coach K Coach K uh, hatred? What was
2: like the peak moment? Man, that's good. Um, I think it has to be um, the Gerald Henderson forearm to Tyler Hansbrough's nose. That I will, I will never, to this day, not believe that Coach K sent him in there to, to go smack Tyler Hansbrough in the face. I will never. Yeah, I don't care you can tell me a thousand times. I will not believe that, that he did not call a code red right there, Sam and Stephen. He called a code red. Gerald Henderson went in there. To, to serve it. Um, that's probably the biggest moment because I, I just, I felt it encapsulated everything that I didn't like about him. It was a petty move. Um, and it just, it, it was definitely, definitely the top of the list for sure. I mean, I mean, is that, is, is that, is that, that didn't happen that long ago? Does that resonate with you guys? Is that a moment that you yeah. remember? I remember watching
1: that on TV as a kid. That was like, probably like one of like the one of my first memories of the Duke Carolina rivalry and like kind of like the hatred, yeah, was that moment. It was, I guess, like the Montrose, bloody scene when you were at a UNC. That was kind of like for me and Steven, that was that similar play, but it was probably a lot more. It was definitely the Gerald Henderson was a way more violent play versus the Montrose,
2: yeah, for sure. I mean, Montrose, as it turned out, I think he just bumped heads with somebody, but yeah, I mean, Gerald Henderson. I mean, you, you, watch the vi- you watch the video, he, he goes up like he's blocking a shot and then falls his fist and comes down with his forearm. I, that's, not a, that's not a basketball play. And, and, I'll, and, you know, after the game, you know, it, it, what made it worse, guys, he's getting my blood pressure up. I need to like, <laughs> you're just getting me wound up here. Um, but after the game, even, you know, um, Coach K, do you, do you remember what he said after the game? And then somebody asked him about it. He goes, guys, Gerald's the real victim here. <laughs> gerald's the real victim here not the man who has a bloody nose in the leather locker room so gerald's a nice guy he's the victim here like no mm-mm. so I, I mean he just compounds it with stuff like that so um yeah it uh, that's definitely at the height of it and, and the thing about that game guys and you don't, I don't know if you remember it was it was kind of a boring game like mm-hmm. it was I, I remember watching it most every Duke carolina game has something in it something happens you know it's a blowout or Danny Green dunks in Greg Paulus's face or something something happens in most in a lot in most every Carolina game it was a boring game Carolina was up by 10 or 12 points for most of the game nothing major happened and here we are in the final minute they're shooting free throws there's a guy at the at the desk to you know at the at the check-in stand to come in to take Tyler Hansburg out of the game and a minute left, and then it happens, so it was kind of weird, and I was sitting there watching, thinking, yeah, this is kind of been a boring game, nothing really memorable has happened, so I don't know, yeah. hopefully I didn't speak it into an existence, but yeah. yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was a crazy, crazy moment, for sure. I'm just impressed with how all those players didn't
1: get into, like, an all-out brawl, yeah. like, everybody just stayed so composed, like, it was just, like, in a, in a normal game, maybe it was another point, there would have been, like, an all-out fight, but, Give credit to both teams, they were able to compose themselves and then ask, uh, that's how far it got.
2: Like, yeah, it, it, I, mean, I think a lot of playbooks were shocked. I mean, thank God for one of the walk ons, Dewey Burke, who grabbed Tyler Hansbro around the chest, you know, as he got up. He saw he, Hansbro gets up and he's got blood all over his face and his jersey, and he has the wherewithal to go over there and grab him and hold him. So you're right, it is kind of odd, crazy that it didn't escalate, but uh, I think most people were just kind of shocked at the amount of blood that was laying there. It was crazy.
1: Yeah, for sure. So, uh, so prior to the season, Coach K announces his retirement, and which means we were going to get this whole retirement tour. I nobody was looking forward to this at all. It's going to be the most annoying thing ever. Uh, what was your reaction to his announcement when it happened? And then, of course, what it was like to beat him at Cameron, and then in the national title game or the final four.
2: Well, my reaction was nausea. Like, I, I heard this, like, you know, because uh, you know, Roy Williams had just retired and then, you know, t- went out and, and, and like he did. And then Coach K announces it. And I'm like, oh, my God. One, not surprised at all. This is such a Coach K thing to do, you know, because it's all about K, guys. It's all about K. So he wants all that adulation, all the people just, you know, bowing at his, at his feet and kissing the ring. So not surprising at all. But I, I knew exactly what you said. I'm like, oh my God, we are gonna have to go through a year every game. Oh, here's K. This is awesome. And this is his last time in this building, and blah, 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 you know, stuff that is just nauseating. So I, I was just like, this is ridiculous. Then, then the so so I, I I don't I can't watch a Duke game unless they're playing Carolina because I get so angry watching them, right? So I, I don't, I don't watch them unless, unless. They're about to lose. Then I turn it on. And I know they're about to lose only because my phone starts blowing up. Like I, everyone knows me on Twitter or my friends. They know I'm not watching, but if it gets close and Duke is going to lose, I swear, like I might start getting tweets, texts, phone calls, and then I'll turn it on. But um, so I didn't, I didn't watch any of this year for that, for the reason of like I couldn't, I couldn't handle it. And then leading up to that game, Sam, right? the finale in in Cameron and of course at the beginning of the year I was like dude Hubert Davis if you can find some way some way any way to pull this game off you will have a lifetime contract to Carolina now then the season started Carolina did not look good and I'm like oh my god it's not good then the game in the Dean Dome Duke absolutely annihilated Carolina really could have easily won that game by 30 points it was my worst nightmare I was like this is awful Going into that game, guys, at Cameron, I, I will be honest, we were like 12-point underdogs. I had no part of me thought that Carolina was going to win that game. I, I I just braced myself. It's like you're going to the dentist, man. You're like, mm-hmm. I gotta brace myself. I gotta, I'm just gonna endure this and then I'm gonna get out. Um, and so, and then that whole stuff before the game, with all of the players coming out, forming this little like, like, you know, soccer mom tunnel for him to walk out in. and all this crap. I'm like, this is ridiculous. But then a part of me goes, they, they've forgotten that there is a game to play. That there is an opponent who is also there to win. They, guys, they thought this was like the Washington Generals versus the Harlem Globetrotters. And that Carolina was just gonna show up, look confused, get their pants pulled down on the three-throw line and the Harlem Globetrotters were gonna dunk. They forgot that there was a game to be played. And so all of that happened, and as that game went on, I'm like, holy crap, we might actually win this game, and it's going to be the most incredible thing ever. And it was. And I was like, after that game ended, I, I'm telling you guys right now, I bawled like a baby. I cried my eyes out after that game was over. I was so happy. And, and, so, and I thought, nothing can top this. Nothing can top beating Coach K in his final home game. I was wrong oh. three weeks later we meet in the final four and that wasn't an even topper game it, I, I, I can't even describe to you the feeling there it was unbelievable the amount of hubris at that last game in Cameron just came back to haunt Kay. Um, I, I, I love the fact that not only did it happen it happened in front of all of those players like a hundred former Duke players had to sit there and endure that. how awesome is that um, and then, and then that Final Four game. Like I said, t- we talked about it before. I was so super nervous, um, but I knew that we could play with them, right? And I knew that we would be motivated. I knew we were playing really well, but I didn't. I didn't. You know, I, I didn't. Uh, I couldn't dream of of winning that game. I, I just wanted to get through it. It was incredible. As a fan, it was absolutely incredible. I've had a, I've had an impossible time explaining that feeling to people who really don't understand the the Duke Carolina rivalry. But it's, yeah. it's 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 been awesome.
1: I remember I remember the day when. Duke Carolina game at Cameron. I was at the KU Texas game at Allen, which was the game right before the Duke Carolina game, which went into overtime. And yeah, I just right. remember, like, I was I was able to watch on TV because I was at the game. I think Stephen, you remember this? They had like half the camera was showing K walking in while the game, which was like a tied game, like a cha- KU had a chance to win the Big Twelve that day. Yes, you would never like showing Duke. Like, what is this? Like, it's yes. a great game going on. It's being ruined because some guy is playing his last game in his home venue like which game what's more important right now a team that has a chance to win a conference championship or like just a guy
2: that's just like walking up on the court it it was i forgot about that's true yeah and that that was great because i really want thank you ku for doing that because it kind of took away from coach k's moment right because he was sitting there thinking that the whole world was watching him so i'll tell you what, what what i watched though so they had that feed on ESPN, right? The KU game was going on. They split the yeah. screen. Well, they actually had um, a, a different feed on the ACC network. So one of the little ESPN stations of, of, of the game as well. And they had a Coach K cam, right? A whole separate oh. thing. They sh- Well, they'll listen, right? Exactly. You, you, why would you do that? But, um, and before, they showed the whole pregame. So I was watching it on there and they just, just about to throw up. And guys, when I saw that they were doing the whole game with a split screen on Coach K, I was like, this is ridiculous. And I, and I wound up watching the ESPN theme. But guess what was really fun to watch after the fact? That game that I recorded on the ACC network where I got to watch Coach K watch his team lose against Carolina in his last home game. So I was really thankful that ESPN did that after the fact. But yeah, I forgot, I forgot all about the KU-Texas game. That's, that was crazy. That was a crazy, crazy day
1: yeah yeah and then I I, it was just so funny like after the game when they did like all the ceremonies and then coach K just apologized and then like the students trying to like talk and he's like no everybody please be quiet just yelling at them (laughs) perfect perfect encapsulation of K wasn't it guys oh man that was a great night uh so uh, besides those last two games, uh, give me your favorite uh, Duke-Carolina memor- memory
2: uh, besides the, the last game at Cameron and in the Final Four. Yeah, I mean, the games that I, and that I was present for, certainly that 1992, the Bloody Montrose game, that's a special game to me. Just my senior year, uh, you know, Duke had just won the national championship. Carolina had been knocked out of the Final Four. Um, So that's a really special, special uh, game to me. Uh, uh, Tyler Hansbrough's freshman year when he went over to Duke, nobody expected Carolina to win, ruined Jake, uh, JJ Reddick and Sheldon Williams senior night. That was a great game. Um, You know, there's uh, there's, so, so that's the one that sticks out in my mind. Um, You know, 2005 uh, when it's, you know, it's known for the Marvin Williams shot. So this is, you know, Roy's second year back and, Kay is riding high. Carolina has been through a really rough patch. We we lost the game in Cameron earlier in the year on a really tight last minute possession. And then we come in, um, in, in the, in the Dean Dome and, and win after Raymond Felton misses a free throw and Marvin William puts it back. So, so that one, that one's really special to me as well. Um, and uh, so I know those are the ones that stick out over the years. So there's been a ton, right? I mean, there's been just so many great games. I've been in the Dean Dome for, um, you know, I can just go on and on, but, but those are, you know, some of the top ones just because I have such great memories attached to them.
0: I got to ask you this before we we close this out. You got to give me your top five hateable Duke players.
2: The the hardest thing about this, Steven, is limiting it to five. Okay. Um, so I, I mean, you gotta, you gotta start with Christian Leitner, right? I know that's before your time, before most of your audience's time, but, you can't fathom what this man was um, in, in, in his day. Uh, and, I mean, they made a freaking movie about him, right? So um, so he's number one for sure. Uh, after that, I, I would say J.J. Reddick uh, in mean, past, but Grayson Allen took over for, for J.J. Reddick. So Grayson Allen is number two on the list for sure. Um, then you got to go J.J. Reddick. But I, I have to admit, guys, he's actually, I've actually softened on him a little bit over the years. He's kind of, he's, he's a really good podcaster, by the way. I don't know if you listen to his podcast, but. Um, but but for sure in his time at Duke and, um, you know, he even admits that he was a, he was an a-hole at Duke. Um, so J.J. Redick, for sure. I, I could not stand Steve Wojciechowski. Like that was a guy that I used to just scream at on the television all the time. So he was the former coach at Marquette. I think I don't even know what he's doing now. Probably like selling paint in uh, Durham. Um, but uh, he you know, he was a guy that was just so obnoxious. So I really didn't like him at all. Um, and then after that, it gets tough to, to bring it up to the to the next five um you know there, there's there's guys like uh i'm trying to think of some more recent. i didn't really like john shire what he played i thought he was just just kind of obnoxious he apparently is an okay guy um but uh let's see who else um i mean if, if i'll tell you what i could do if i could just group the plumley brothers together into one one plumley one giant plumley We'll put them at number five because they're just so representative of everything to do. But <laughs> it, it's hard to limit it, guys. We we have a chapter in the book around the top ten hated Duke, actually top eleven because ten wasn't enough. So you can go and read some more stuff in there for sure.
0: Of course, yeah. It is fascinating the the trajectory that JJ Redick has had after his Duke career. I know he was obviously one of the best, you know, knockdown shooters in the NBA and. His role as not only a podcast host but as an analyst on ESPN has been fascinating, but it's also great because I, to be honest with you, it's tough to hate that guy. On one hand, because not only is he a good guy, but every role that he's been able to do, he does it fabulously.
2: It's it's bad that I like him now. Is that bad? It's bad, isn't it? Yeah, because I hated him when he was. It's all right, in school. I think
0: but it's crazy the transformation of his career or just of his life in general. But yeah, I would definitely say like his role has definitely been, been tra- uh, transformed, I guess for the better, but, um, not surprised you had Grayson Allen in there. Obviously, you know, throughout this podcast, you know, we've been talked about our appreciation for Kansas Grayson Allen, his last game was against Kansas in the elite eight. And his shot, the final shot in regulation rimmed out. You know, Sam and I always talk about, oh, what if that shot rimmed in? If it rimmed in, he would have been on to the final four, would have ended Candace's season. Um, And that was really, you know, the tail end of really when his hatred just really just blossomed with the tripping incidences, the issues that he had on the sideline, on the bench. I mean, it was, and, you know, he wasn't, really that hated maybe in his freshman year because he was he wasn't the 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 important guy on that team but as his career got on it just got you know worse and worse and worse it is funny though just mentioned about duke players you know i'm i'm a celtics fan so jason tatum i love the
2: guy i'll tell you guys steven i don't i mean the one and donors it's hard to hate them a lot because they're not around for very long right so Mm -hmm. Unless they do something really notable in their short, you know, semesterhood at, at Duke, I, I, it's hard to to hate on them a lot. Like, I hate that I, I mean, Zion Williams, you know, his his career in the NBA has kind of gone off the rails a little bit, but I hate that I really liked watching him play when he was at Duke because he went to Duke. I was like, dude, you're really fun to watch. Why did you have to go to Duke? So um, yeah, it's hard to hate on those one and donors, but I'll tell you though, Paolo Bancaro. He might be the exception. That dude never shuts up. So we'll see where his career goes. But I I was not a fan of him um, this year at all.
0: Right. So for you, Andy, you know, how can our listeners maybe reach out to you on social media? And then how can they find the book that was published, you know, a decade ago? How can they purchase that and learn more about
2: that? Yeah, yeah. So I'm on I'm on Twitter at NC Bags. So yeah, look, hit me up there. Uh, I, I'll tweet. I'll I'll be a little bit quiet for the next couple months, but during the college basketball season, I'm I'm uh, pretty wound up. So um, yeah, at NC Bags on Twitter. Uh, the book you can get just about anywhere. It's probably the easiest thing for your readers, for your listeners, probably just go out on Amazon and find it on there. Um, I'll also tell you guys that we are working on a follow up. Uh, so Duke still sucks uh reed and i have been uh outlining some chapters we've gotten some stuff written so uh i've got to just get off my butt and get it done this summer so we can get it out in time for john shire's first year so um look for that you know sometime at the end of the year hopefully or at the beginning you know as we get into uh to march madness next year but um yeah yeah that's that's the best places to find me and then yeah again you've got access to the espn uh, 30 for 30 library uh, you know I'm, I'm uh, you, you won't miss me I'm the I'm the obnoxious ball guy and uh, I hate Christian Leitner so I will tell you too guys that one uh, Rory Karp is the producer the the guy who made that film outstanding filmmaker so just got to give him a little bit of a shout out he did a lot of the other ones as well so the man the book of Manning about Eli Manning and his and, and Peyton Manning and his brothers really great 30 for 30 if you haven't seen that so um, no this just I, I was very lucky to be part of that film Um, and, uh, you know, it was just, it was a great experience and, um, just so cool to, to have something that kind of has kind of hung around all all this time. So I, and, and guys, thank you so much for having me. It's, it's been a blast.
0: The, the, The stories that you were able to reel off tonight was amazing. Definitely provided some colorful stories and, and just amazing job.
2: Awesome. Awesome. Well, it was a ton of fun, man. And, uh, and best of luck to you guys. I'm serious. Let's rerun it again next year. Let's have KU and UNC back in the title game. We want that rematch. How's that? Let's do it. Uh, We'd love to see it. It'd be
1: great for college basketball.
2: And hopefully we'll get, we'll get future home and homes. Let's make that happen. Let's do it. Make some calls guys. Come on. Let's make it happen.
0: All right. Well, thank you so much, Andy.
2: All righty. Thank you guys.